All right, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here today. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's word. We're in a book called First uh, Corinthians. We've been studying it verse by verse, going through books of the Bible. That's kind of our bread and butter. That's what we do. Uh, we spend. Uh, we're going to spend the majority of the year in First Corinthians. We're in chapter nine today. We've covered a myriad of topics. We've covered uh, things from divorce, remarriage, singleness, we've t- uh, sex, sexuality. Uh, you know, what's up and coming is getting drunk at communion. Like, there's a lot of stuff. You don't do that, by the way, if you're a guest. So we're, not, we're not here for that. Um, the Corinthian church is being acting selfish. They're full of pride. Last week, we, we looked at, man, some of these guys are going to idol temples, worshiping idols. Some uh, are worried because of their, their, their past life. They used to not be Christians. They became Christians. They're struggling to live out their Christianity. They have questions Many of you have, like you have questions, maybe you're a first generation Christian, you came to faith and you're like, I have questions about how do I apply this, how do I apply God's word, like this whole thing seems like a total paradigm shift, because it is. And so we've, we've covered a lot of topics, and so today, uh, a lot of what we're going to hear today is uh, from uh, Paul, the, the one who wrote this book, um, is, is perspective, uh, his pastoral perspective. And so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands, one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, it'll, it will be on the screen, but we do recommend, you know, take, get a Bible for yourself. Uh, if you don't own one, man, we want you to have it. And so um, the subject of today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prep it a little bit, is, is, is on the lines of paying pastors and uh, showing honor and respect. So, you know, I got the privilege to preach that one. Uh, you know, sometimes it feels kind of awkward talking about it, but, you know, this is where we're at. That's where we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. So you get to a place and you're like... I don't know that I want to preach that one. You got to. You got to show up for the job. You got to do it. And that's, what, that's where we're at. Next week, though, we're going to look at missional ministry. So how do we live on mission in the context of our everyday life? Uh, that's where we'll look. And then last week, we saw, like I said, mentioned a second ago, the Corinthian church, they're acting selfish. They're full of pride. They're arrogant. A lot of them are new Christians, new converts. They, they're coming out of paganism. They're not humble. We talked a lot about humility last week, talking about laying down our rights and our life for our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ um, in service to them. And so Paul is what he's doing today. He's going to illustrate how he and Barnabas and some of the other pastors in this church, how they have modeled that for the Corinthian church. And so he's going to illustrate how he's done that for them, and he's going to give them some perspective. So a lot of today's message is going to be about perspective, and we will end. Uh, it, so today's sermon will be a little different. It's, it's more perspective um, and uh, more him. He's going to ask like a bunch of different questions rhetorically, and so we're going to walk through them. Here we go. Honor and respect is the first thing I want us to see. That's the big subject that, that, that cast over this entire uh, first 12 verses. We're going to go through 18 verses total, but uh, first 12, we're going to spend some time on it, understand the context of why Paul is saying the things he's saying and what's going on there. If you hear kids in the other room, praise God, they're alive. Uh, that's what we're about. We're about, we're about uh, Jesus. These disciples tried to keep uh, the children away from him, and he rebuked them. So if you're offended by the sound of kids, I rebuke you, and here we go. Um, am I free? Also, this is our fifth week in this building. We've only been in this building uh, April, and we're figuring out a lot of things. If you're a guest with us, you're like, man, they feel like it feels cramped. I know. We, it's, we're five weeks in. We're figuring stuff out. And so here we go. There's another church. I'm not saying you have complaints. They had some complaints, and so we'll talk about theirs. Uh, Am I not free, the apostle says. Am I not an apostle? Uh, Have I not seen the Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? What he's, he's not, he, he, the theme here is uh, respect and honor. He's not demanding it here. What he's trying to do is he's trying to cultivate it. Sometimes we need, you need to understand, sometimes uh, pastors, um, and, and here at the well, uh, when we say pastors, we mean elders, they're, they're synonymous. And so your, your church leaders, your pastors, your elders, sometimes they can be uh, so close to you. Um, and, and, and rightfully so, man, they're in the trenches with you, they're loving you, they're serving you, um, and you're friends with them, and that's a great, awesome thing, like when your friend, you know, he becomes an elder, and you're like, wow, he was my friend, like, that's really awesome, but sometimes uh, you can be so close in relationship with your pastors, uh, you just see them as, as someone like, just like, you, just, your, you're just your bud, your friend, you're, you're, you know, you don't have uh, respect for them in their office, what God has called them to, and I'm not saying we should esteem one another um, in a way that is dishonoring to the Lord or a pedestal. We're talking about places of honor and respect in our heart. And so uh, it's, a, it's a hard job, you know, to lead those you, you love. It's a hard to, job to lead your friends. Some of you, when you became an elder, like your friends, uh, I mean, you're like, we were, we were, like, you became a Christian first, and 
you became, and then the other guy became an elder, a pastor. And so sometimes you think that being an elder or a pastor is like a, a job that you interview for, and that if you go through the right, uh, you know, do the right things, you start at the bottom, you get to the top, and all of a sudden you're at the top, and like, you know, it's about, it's about you. It's about all that you've done to, to earn or merit that, that role as a pastor elder. That's not the biblical qualification. It's not how it works. It's the Holy Spirit who sets apart overseers. So in this, this church in Corinth, you've got to remember that they're a close-knit group of people, wild, crazy Things are going on. The Apostle Paul has rolled in. There's been, there's been persecution. There's intense persecution coming. He's, he's made friends, made relationships, led people to Jesus. And now they're try, they're, some of them may be struggling to see uh, him and Barnabas with, with honor and respect. Why does that matter? It's because of the things he's sharing with them. He's like, I need you to understand these things. Like, I've been entrusted this ministry by God, and I'm trying to help lead you to know Jesus, love Jesus, and worship Jesus more. I'm not just trying to ruin your, your communion party while telling you to shut down the, you know, the, the drunkenness. I'm trying to get you to look like Jesus, I'm trying to get you to follow Jesus. The whole orgy stuff going on, we got to repent of that because of Jesus. The whole you know, worshiping idols thing, I'm not just saying that because uh, you know, it's just I got a new job and my boss is telling me to tell you. It's because of Jesus. We love Jesus. He's giving me this assignment. So it's sometimes a hard job to lead those you love, uh, counsel. So he's, he's doing, he has a lot of hats, counseling, you know, uh, preaching, uh, sometimes rebuking. And so it's sometimes hard to approach a pastor. Sometimes it's hard to then not see them as a friend. So that I, I understand that, especially the size of our church, the relationships I have here, sometimes it's hard. You're like, you hear me preaching sometimes, you're like, this guy can be angry. I'm afraid to approach him. Then you meet with me, have coffee, and you're like, hey, is he different? No, he's the same. But he's, he's, when I'm preaching, I'm exercising a different office than when I'm, when I'm having coffee or when you're at my house. Same thing with the other elders. And so same thing with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, he, it, sometimes he can, uh, we see letters that were, where, where they're like, man, Paul's a hard to approach. He's, a, he's, a, he's tough. He's a tough dude. Uh, other times we see that there's just, uh, man, he, perhaps in Corinth, he's just so close. We, there's just this lack of respect. Um, and he's, he's saying, man, I'm free. I've laid down my rights. I'm trying to get you to lay down your rights for the sake of the, 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 the congregation, your brothers and sisters in Christ. I've laid down my rights. I want you to see that. I want you all to have some perspective. He says, I'm an apostle. Like, I have authority. He's like, I didn't choose this job. This job chose me. Namely, Jesus chose me. Paul was not a Christian. Just so you know, the guy who wrote this was, was a Christian killer at first. Like, that was his job. Like, he went around killing Christians. I don't know how bad you think you are, but Paul says, like, if he can make it in, then anyone can make it in. If Jesus can save him, he can save anybody. He was walking around like, let's, let's let, you know, the church is gathered. Let's go in there and let's, let's, let's kill them. Let's persecute them. Let's, let's imprison them. He was a persecutor of the church, and Jesus had enough of it. And Jesus showed up, literally knocked Paul off his horse, blinded him, rebukes him, calls him to repentance, and Paul's like, man, if you can do that, then I'll follow you anywhere you go. He's been indebted to Jesus the whole time. He's like, I, I love you. I'm converted. Yeah, I'll follow you. I'll obey you. And, and Jesus tells Paul, like, you're going to plant churches. You're going to write books of the Bible. And he's like, well, they don't like me. I've been killing them. He's like, I know. And so you're going to endure some persecution. You're gonna, uh, it's going to be a hard, hard task for you, Paul, but it, it's, I've called you to it. And so the Corinthians here are the fruit of his ministry. So he says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? He's like, so he obeyed. He repented of his sin. Some of you need to repent of your sin today. You don't know Jesus. You don't trust Jesus. You're not following him. And he's not knocking you out of your seat. Uh, he, he's, he, you're sitting here, though. You're hearing this. You need to hear from the Lord Jesus to repent, trust him. He is the only Savior. And from there, you need to obey him. Some of that, some of you, you've been a Christian for a while and you're not obeying him. There's certain areas of your life you're like, I just don't want to talk about this among Christians because they'll tell me to obey Jesus. I really want to obey Jesus. That's where you need to obey. You need to obey in the, in the areas where you know you need to obey and you're not. You're like, I'm not going to tell these guys I'm a first-time guest. Don't. Well, Jesus sees you obey there. Paul uh, gets knocked off his horse. He meets Jesus, re repents of his sin, gets saved. Then he starts obeying him. And, 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 the, and then you see fruit of his obedience. People get saved. Just think about this. You were a Christian killer, now called to make Christian converts. You're like, man, that seems like it's not going to work. It just seems like they're not going to trust me. Here's the reality. Gospel ministry, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, is not, uh, is, is not, is not uh, human ministry. 
It's supernatural. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't convert anyone. Jesus did the same way he got converted. Everyone gets converted. God shows up. God shows up and changes their heart, changes their mind, gives us a new life in Christ. And so he's seeing the, he's seeing the fruit of, of that. So he's talking to the church like, y'all got saved. Y'all were once not Christians like me. Y'all were once pagans. And I was Jewish and I didn't like you either. But, you know, we, we all got saved. Jesus met us. We're both on two political parties. And we both met Jesus. And now we're friends. Like, it's wild. That's what Jesus does. He says this, even if you don't see me as an apostle or others don't see me as an apostle, I am you. Verse 2, for others, I'm not an apostle. At least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And this is my defense to those who examine me. Just imagine, like the church is like, prove it to me. Like if I had to come up every week and go, let me prove to you uh, that I'm the pastor of this church. Like sometimes, there's one time I got pulled over uh, going to church and I was going, you know, too fast. And it's like, I'm going to church. And they're like, you're not a pastor. Prove it to me. I'm like, he goes, do you have papers? Like I have a paper Bible. Like what do you want? Like I, no, we don't. I, I, we don't have papers, you know, we don't walk around like, it just imagine that I just had to prove myself, I was like, hey, we have a website, let me show you this, my face, you know, th- those type of things, uh, like imagine you had to prove yourself to the church all the time, like, or, or prove yourself to your, and some of you feel that way, maybe in your relationships with your, your spouse or, or, or your loved one or something, you just always feel like you, are, you have to prove yourself. You have to prove you love them. You have to prove you're, you're faithful. You're proving. Maybe you have committed sin in the past and you've repented and you're walking in holiness and, and Christ-likeness, but uh, you're holding grudges against one. And it's an awful thing to feel like you have to prove yourself to the people you know and love all the time. And so he's struggling here, uh, and he's having, to, he's having to defend himself to the people he led to Jesus. Like, guys, I introduced you to him first. How, what do you mean I don't love him? I, like, I, I'm the one who introduced you and so think about, uh, he, he's saying, I'm an apostle to you. I want you to think about it this way. Like the elders here, we're not elders at other churches. We don't have authority in other churches. And so we're not pastors of other churches. Like we're pastors here. And so this is in, in a way what he's saying. Like others might not see me as a pastor. Others might not see us in, in this role in this office, but at least to you, this is your church home. That's the kind of posture he's, he's taking and he's talking to the Corinthians. They're not listening how do we know this? Because he's written multiple letters, uh, and they, they have some of the, the first and second Corinthians combined. There's other letters that, that were lost historically. Uh, he, there's more letters written to this church in Corinth than any other letters in the entire, any other church in the New Testament. Like, they needed a lot of writing to. And so they're not listening. Uh, they're, they're not respecting they're not obeying. Oftentimes, the proof that you love or you respect, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commands. So Paul's saying, hey, here's some stuff you got to do. And they're like, no, we're not going to do it. That's a sign of disrespect. They're not honoring him. And so Paul's about to get into compensation. He's going to talk about how, I, how he's not taking a salary, though he could. Like, y'all don't honor, he's like, y'all don't honor me in such a way that y'all aren't even willing to pay me. I'm not, not that I'm asking, but like, y'all don't honor and respect the pastors at the church. And he's talking to the Corinthians. That's the issue they're, they're, they're undergoing. Additionally, not only is there conflict in their church, but there's about to be, and we've talked about it at length prior, there's about to be intense persecution that comes upon the church historically. Nero is about to raid churches. He's going to light Christians on fire as doorposts. He's, he's trying to prepare this church for the up-and-coming persecution. So they're not listening to him. He's like, hey, I'm trying to t- get you ready. I'm trying to get you fit for what's about to happen. You're about to get persecuted in a way you've never seen. Some of you have become Christians. Uh, and all of you have become Christians, and y- y'all were once pagans, and, and you, know, you thought it was just a Jewish-Roman thing, and now there's like, going to be persecution on the Christians, on the church. And you've never seen this. You've never experienced this. He's like, I used to do this for a living. I'm telling you, it's awful. Persecuting Christians, it's awful. He's trying to get them ready. And, and he's having to defend himself and prove his, his, his pastoral authority to them so that in hopes that he could listen, they would listen, in hopes that they would obey, in hopes that they would not only uh, he would spare their life or, 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 can, or cultivate godliness so that they can endure the season of persecution that they're about to face, also that, so they wouldn't apostate, they wouldn't leave the faith. A lot of preaching is either one, one, it's either timely for today, like right now, or it's equipping for the future. 
See, as a church, we're not just trying to equip you for today and tomorrow, but we want to cultivate here a, a church that lasts, that our, our grandkids and our great-grandkids get to see the fruit of, of faithfulness to Jesus in the ministry that we have here. We want to last a, le- we want a legacy, not just a moment. We want to, we want to have a lineage, not just a, a short stint in human history. We want to last a lifetime because Jesus, the, the message of the gospel must keep going forward. The reason why, it exi- why we're here today is because that message did go forward. The reason why you're a Christian today is because someone shared it with you. The good news of Jesus. It, it, this message not just uh, uh, was, was given to the Apostle Paul and distributed to the churches and to the, the, those converted in the, the first century, but it's still going to this day. We're part of something huge. It's epic in proportion. But Christianity always lives and dies by the generation that's present. God is faithful and will hold, withhold, will hold for himself a remnant in every day, in every age. The question is, are you part of the remnant? Are you part of the faithful? Will you endure to the end? That's what he's telling the Corinthians. I want y'all to all endure to the end. I want y'all to all get up the mountain. I want y'all to all make it to the finish line. This week, I was with a group of pastors, and uh, uh, we, we went hiking. Um, it was really fun. Um, and uh, one of the guys went like three-quarters up the mountain or the, the, and, and didn't go to the top. And we were like bummed. Like, bro, you went he kind of hurt his knee it's okay we didn't make fun of him or anything but you know uh it's just he he didn't go we got he got to see a cool cave but he didn't go he didn't make it to the top and like he was almost there and it was a hard stretch and it would have been it would have taken some effort but but we were okay with him not making it but whatever while we were up there we uh one of the guys was like uh i think it was pastor alex He, he said man i just wish he was here i wish you could see this right i want you to endure to the end Climbing can be hard. It can be exhausting. The Christian life can drain you. It can, it can, it can suck the very marrow from your bones. But, but the goal is to endure to the end, walking with Jesus the whole way, being a Christian not just today, but on your last day. Not the last day when you leave the faith, but the last day when you breathe your last. We want you to finish well. It doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish. And so Paul wants them to finish well. And so he's having to say, yoo-hoo, remember me? I planted the church. I'm the apostle. Woohoo! I planted 13 books of the Bible. I wrote, like, he's having to prove himself to this church. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Verse 4, verse 5, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers in the Lord, uh, of the Lord and Cephas? Brothers of the Lord, not the Lord. Jesus did not have a wife. Uh, but brothers of the Lord, so like James and John, these folks, uh, you know, James, uh, do not... Peter or Cephas, do they not have the right to have a wife? He's a single dude. He's a single dude, and what he's done is he's laid down his rights for the sake of the church to serve. He doesn't, from what we know, he doesn't get married. And he has the right as a Christian, though, and this is the point. He has the right as a Christian to get married and take a believing wife with him. Now, the whole, like, clergy can't have wife things in, in, the, in certain you know, uh, areas of Christianity, no. Like, they can. Like, they can he, he's saying that we have the right to take on a believing wife, but he's laying down his right to serve this people. It's not that having a wife or having children is some sort of negative thing. Uh, he's saying that uh, he's just laid down his rights. Why is this point? Because he's about to get into compensation, his salary. Now, if he had, if he, if he had a wife, he had kids, guess what? He needs more money. That's just what happened. More mouths to feed, more money. It's just a thing. And so what he's saying is that he doesn't even have much. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't need a, like, he doesn't need a certain home, live in a certain neighborhood in order to like, you know, because he's getting persecuted. So you would imagine if he had a wife and kids, he want to live somewhere where he could have like some security, some protection. Like he would need it. Like, he, like they wanted to kill him. They end up doing it. Like he could have had that and they would have had the right, what he's going to talk about later, to pay him so that he could have those basic needs of survival for his family. But he's saying, I don't even have, I haven't even, I don't even have a wife. I don't even have kids. If I did, it would be okay, but I don't even have, it's just me, a single dude. You know who the cheapest people on earth are? Single dudes. Like, I've talked about it before. I lived on the floor when I was single. I had a mattress and didn't wash my sheets. Like, I saved so much money, wore the same clothes. It wasn't a good thing, but it was a thing. I didn't have many needs. I used to think, I was taking a class in college, and they were talking about how much money you might need to earn. I was like, if I can get $20,000 a year, easy. I'll be living the dream. I was thinking about living in a tent. Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'll just do that. And I wasn't thinking about being homeless. I was like, dude, I could go camping all the time. These are the things that 
a single guys think about. They don't think about, you know, anything other than that fits in their car or their bike, whatever. I need you to see here that, that Paul is saying, that's kind of how I am. I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of needs. But if I did, I would, it wouldn't be wrong for me to ask for a salary. Now, verse 6, he says, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? What he is saying is not that he's not working. Don't hear this. Some of you, you, went to, you, you thought about going to Bible college, and you're like, oh, I could not work for a living and be a pastor. Like, that's what that means, not working. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that he does, does he not have the right to get paid for what he's doing. They're not paying him. Some of you, uh, uh, have you ever worked a job for free? Yes. Do you, you make it your calling? Probably not. Like, that is his life. Like, his, all of his energy is going into this church and churches, and he's not getting paid. Now, I want you to see this. So many of, you, many of you, you, you maybe know the Apostle Paul story. You're like, he made tents. He did. Not like camping tents, not REI. It was, you know, bigger tents. Took more work. Even though this would be pretty cool back then. But uh, he made, he was a tent maker. He made and sold tents, had money, took that money, did ministry. He worked hard. Hard labor, hard work. And so here from the Corinthians, he doesn't take money from them. He doesn't uh, take a salary is what I mean. Uh, but other churches, he does. So I want you to see Paul, he uses his, this right to receive financial compensation from some churches, and then sometimes he, he withholds it, depending on uh, uh, what's needed in order to keep the ministry going. His focus is on the ministry. He says this, this is a great point, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Like, just think about that. You know, you, you just imagine, like, you're in the military, you're in the military, and you're like, I got to pay for my own ammo? can't do that like no you can't even you know your own personal carrier you can't even afford that like now i need my own gear my own equipment i gotta pay for my own intelligence like i gotta figure out man the equipment i need for i I got it we got we're gonna go to war and we're gonna pay for this just us we would lose that's church planting that's pastoring a church like we lose if jesus doesn't show up like that's how desperate it is that's how the church like that we we know that we know that our God is the God of angel armies, which is the Lord of hosts. Like, he's, he's better than any military. Like, he's, he's legit. But, but that's, the, that's the job. You, you don't win many wars this way. And this is how you know, like, when Paul's like, y'all got converted. This is proof of my, my, my apostleship. It's like, we didn't have money. We didn't have a team. We didn't have a plan. Like, we just showed up, told people about Jesus, and y'all got converted. It's how you know Jesus is involved. And so he continues, he says, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit or who tends flocks without getting some milk? See, whether you're, you're planting a vineyard or you're a shepherd in field, like you, you, even in, in the natural world, you, you see that there's a sharing of the, 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 the spoils of what you are doing. You don't see like a farmer uh, who's like, man, I just went up without, you know, I have some milk cow, some cows and, you know, like we're out of milk. No, like he takes some. Like, there's no one who has, like, chickens who's like, man, we're out of eggs. Like, we have eggs. We're going to take some for us, and we're going to we'll sell the rest. Like, that's just what it is. And, and Paul's like, we could do that in the church, but we haven't. Verse 8, he says, do I say these on human authority only? So he's like, we, we've just described the natural world. We looked at the military. We looked at farmers. We looked at those who are uh, planting vineyards. We, we, we looked at uh, all of these things, and is this just merely in the natural world? He continues, says, does not the law say the same? So now he's rooting it in the scriptures. For it is written in the law of Moses, that's the Old Testament, uh, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. See, even when ox, when they, they plow the field, uh, they don't get their mouth uh, bridled or, or, or muzzled. They, they're allowed to eat while they work. It is, it is the oxen, it says. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Is it God just simply concerned about the oxen? Or are humans more valuable than oxen is what he's asking. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, he says, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? See, the the case he's making is that we have not taken a salary from you. We've given up our rights. 
last chapter we were looking at, they're not willing to give up their rights for their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not willing to lay down their rights to serve one another. And he's saying, we've not only given up, I've, I've given up my right to have a wife. Uh, I'm making really financially, you know, able, if I ever have to ask for someone, I'm single, not a lot of, not, uh, you know, I get, I'm in prison half the time. You know, like, I, I'm really cheap labor, Paul is saying. And, like, I, I have a job on the side where it's funded my ministry. And, and y'all don't even, we're not even getting to the, the point of salary, guys, in Corinth. Like, I've laid down all my rights. You don't even pay me. You don't listen to me. Y'all don't, y'all don't value my office. Y'all don't have honor. Y'all don't have respect in any of these ways. And I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to pastor you. And so I've given up. He's like, he's saying, I've given up my rights to serve the church. Y'all are just being selfish towards one another. He wants to be an example to them of what to do. And he's not saying that they need to not have jobs or not make money. He's, this isn't prescriptive. This is descriptive for context and perspective. And so they're not honoring the pastors. They're not respecting them. Um, and Paul has the right to ask for compensation for his needs. And he has is, he is, he is not done that. If others share, in verse 12, if others share this rightful claim to you, do we not even more? So, man, you're funding other missionaries, other church planters, other things. You know, you had the, the college group come and, 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 and you want to fund the college ministry, the parachurch ministry, the overseas ministry, the international ministry. Y'all are doing all these things. You're giving and praise be to God, but you're not giving to the local church. You're not, you're not doing anything. I can't even ask for a salary because y'all don't, we don't have any money here. But clearly they've they funded others. He says, man, just because we didn't ask for money didn't mean that there needed to be money here for the, 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 the church, for the ministry to go forward. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything, uh, we, we, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. He's like, you guys, I knew you were a tough bunch when I planted. You know, I, I, it was a, y'all were a tough bunch, and, you know, I didn't ask for a salary. I could have. Um, it's essentially what he's saying. And so he's saying, you don't come to church every week and you have to pay a fee. This isn't like a concert where you have to buy a ticket uh, to make sure you get good seats to come in here. Um, you, don't, you don't have to pay. You don't, you don't, there's no fees. There's, there's just, you know, some of you are like, well, we tithe, we give. Yeah, willingly. Praise be to God. Imagine your job was like, hey, boss, you know what? My salary, what I want my salary to be is whatever you think in your heart it should be. And honestly, you should ask a bunch of other people to get some money together. And they should pray about it. And whatever they feel, joy in their heart, not begrudging, I'll take that as my salary. And if it's nothing, I'm still going to work. Like, you wouldn't take that job, would you? Like, that is a job of a pastor. That's what it is. I'm not saying this to complain. I'm saying it for perspective. Like, we're not going, hey, how much do you make? Uh, what, what's the percentage? Like, okay, we'll do this. Okay, we should. Like, no. Like, whatever you give generously, sacrificially, we ask you to do cheerfully as the Lord commanded, like that's, that's what comes in. That just doesn't only pay salaries, but it also pays for like rental property, uh, the place that we're at, the gear we have, uh, legal fees, you just, you know, we got to be above board with the IRS so we don't get shut. There's just like a lot of stuff and that's just minimum to survive. Like if we want to have like a party and like have food there, like you're like, what? That, that, those, there's just other expenses that come. And so Paul is saying we have the right to do this, and we're not, and, and, and just because you're giving and just because you're serving doesn't mean we're like, this isn't, we're, we're, we're not, this isn't a fee, this isn't pay to play, this is, no matter, we're going to be here no matter what, we're going to pastor no matter what, we're going to serve no matter what, whether there's money or not money, like this is what we're going to do. And like that's just not how anyone else would, you know, take a job. And so I think it's funny when people are like, the pastors just want to do it to get rich. I'm like, Interesting. Like, you're like, well, that one pastor was rich. Like, he, he probably, you know, compared to what? Like, I really, like, I, I really, I always get, I'm always interested because I'm like, what does he do? Do you even know what he does? Most people think we just work on Sunday and we drink coffee for a living. Like, that's the job of a pastor. Like, he gets to read a lot, pray, you know, no one, it's just, that's not, it's not the gig. If you've been here a while, you've talked, we've talked at length about what others, like Luther has talked about, how, how pastoral ministry will suck the bones from your marrow, like it, it, the marrow from your bones, like it, it, it can be a hard thing. And so this is what he is saying. He's trying to give perspective, trying to get perspective, because now he gets into the talk on wages. 
uh, pastoral honor and wages. I want you to see the, the honor and wages are, are what's connected. Wages, it, it, uh, remuneration, and honor is what's at stake here. Do you not know that those who are employed by the temple, verse 13, serve, uh, uh, who, who employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He's saying, look at other religious leaders, particularly he's talking about the Old Testament, he's not necessarily looking at all the pagan leaders and going, hey, look, we want to be like you. What he's saying is, in the Old Testament, in the temple, uh, there, was, there was compensation, there was uh, employment through the temple. The priests, literally, they got no salary. Uh, the Old Testament priests, they didn't get a salary. The Levites didn't get a salary. What they got was a tenth. That's where the word tithe comes from. They get a tenth of the portion of all the other 11 tribes that went to them. And then there was other uh, fundraising campaigns they needed to, to actually hold the feast and have a celebration and actually have wine, the whole thing. That's what he's talking about. Um, and so Paul knows how hard pastoral ministry is. He has written to Timothy, and we studied Timothy last year, first and second Timothy, and we saw that pastoral ministry had that, uh, like a, he likened it to working a farm, blue-collar, hard-working job. He, he, he likened pastoral ministry to wrestling, like uh, uh, tra- athletic training, military boot camp type stuff. That's what he likened ministry to. In verse 14, he says, Ministry is hard. So he says, ministry is hard. And then he says this, verse 14, because it is, in the same way that other people should, are getting paid by their, their religious work, uh, so pastors should get paid. And he says this, the Lord has commanded. Paul's on the verge of breaking God's commands. I want you all to see this. He's given up his right, his salary here. But he's like, hey, guys, I'm almost disobeying God. Because he says, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Oh, wait, I'm not to you, to the Corinthians. Other places I am, but to you, y'all are so selfish. There's, there's so much division. I can't even get to the point where we could ask for a salary because y'all don't even honor me. Y'all don't, y'all don't respect me. Yeah, like I'm trying to pastor you and you won't listen to me. And again, I hope you're hearing that I'm saying the Corinthians are saying this to Paul. I love you guys. Y'all are great. You're great. He's just, if you feel like you're not great and, and you're not honoring, then repent today. But that's, I'm not necessarily looking at, thinking about anybody, you know. I'm just telling you what he, how he's talking to them. He's on the verge of disobedience. He's laid down his right. Because the issue here is, is compensation is an issue of honor. It's not an issue of right. Uh, in, in the sense of uh, how many hours he works, this is an issue of honor. It's an issue of honor. He says in, uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, uh, 7 through eight, 17 through 18, he says, Let the elders who rule uh, well be considered of, worthy of double honor. He's talking about remuneration or compensation. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the issue of money here is an issue of honor. That's what he's talking about. Especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. And what does he say in verse 18? For the scriptures say, same thing you just said earlier, you shall not muzzle the ox while he treads the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. So he's, he's making the same connection he's making uh, to, to Timothy. When Timothy's leading this, pat, this ministry in Ephesus, he's like, hey, you need to get paid. They need to understand these things. So I'm going to write a letter, and they need to see these things so that they could pay Timothy for his work. Paul's telling the Corinthians, like, I can't even get to the point where we can take a salary yet. And he's not complaining. And he's just explained to them that, that this is an, I want you to see this an issue of honor. Additionally, he says elders who, who uh, uh, rule you know, worthy of double honor, um, also those who labor in preaching and teaching. It is said that preaching 30 minutes, uh, which we're probably about at right now, we still got 30 more, um, is about eight hours of work. Uh, 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 that's what some, some guys have studied this, says, you know, 30 minutes of preaching is like a fit work day of, 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 of eight hours of labor. Um, so you double that, it's like a lot of labor. So I want you to see, that's why sometimes you're like, oh, how do you do this? Well, I'm, I do this every week. It's a fitness thing. Like, it literally is. Like, you can, ha- you can develop the capacity to preach every single week. If you don't preach every single week, you preach one week, you're exhausted. At, like, it's just true. And so what I'm not saying is this is so exhausting, poor me, I'm so tired. No, I love what I do. It, it, it's hard, but it's, it's, it's not, it's taxing, but it's in a way that I can, my capacity can handle it. But the point he's making is like that preaching gig is hard. It's exhausting. Those who labor in it, it's exhausting. 
He continues uh, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, so in the next book he writes to the same church. He's going to tell them, in addition to preaching and how hard that is or, or how taxing it can be for him and for those who preach, he's going to say that apart from those things, there's other things. He says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight that there's daily pressure on him, so he doesn't just work on Sunday, in uh, uh, his anxiety for all the churches. He has stress. He's stressed out about all the churches. He's like, man, there's marriages falling apart. There's counseling that's got to happen. There's church discipline that's got to happen. There's financial situations that's got to happen. There's people who are, you know, driving down the road telling us our music's too loud and we got to shut it down on Sunday like happened today. It's just like, it, it, you just, why am I dealing, you know, certain things you got to deal with? He's just exhausted. He's like, I got anxiety here from, for the churches. It's just, it's just a thing. I'm stressed out. I love preaching. I love the people. He continues in, in 2 Corinthians as well, and he says that they were so utterly burdened, he says, beyond their strength. So he's writing to the same church, but his, his other letter, he says that they were despaired. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but we're not. And, and the reason for that, he says, you know, you see, you start talking about like problems and like, I don't even know what's going on there. He says they felt like the sentence of death. But he says that the reason why pastoral ministry is hard, he says to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, is that so they rely not on themselves but on God. So I share all that for perspective, not to complain. I share all that for perspective so that you see what you want in your pastors, which you should want, is men who are going to say, I need to rely on God. I'm not doing this for the money, not doing this for the fame, not doing this for anything, but we're going to... We're going we're gonna to not muzzle ourselves while we tread grain, but we're going to tread some grain. We're going we're gonna to plow a field. We're going to cultivate. We're going to do some hard work, like, a, like, like blue-collar work. We're going to do the work of ministry in such a way that there be fruitfulness, fruitfulness in your life, in your families, your legacies, your lineage, lineages, your future, our city. Transformation takes cultivation. So that's what we're doing. That's what, the, that's what the role of an elder here does. And he's saying that there is, a, there is a, a wage that is deserved, and that is both honor and remuneration. I want you to know I feel very, 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 very loved and honored by this church. Y'all do a great job. And so I love preaching. The elders and deacons uh, free me up to be able to do this and to focus on preaching and vision. Um, there's two of us who are, who are paid, Pastor Alex and myself. Uh, Pastor Jonathan, is, uh, he has a whole other vocation that he's like Paul. He, he makes some tents. Uh, he doesn't sleep in tents, though. He won't go camping. I bet you won't ask him. Um, uh, and so we, we do feel honored. I guarantee they feel the same way. Some of the reasons why people don't honor pastors, and it's not necessarily compensation, uh, but, but, but what's at the heart of perhaps the Corinthians? Why are they, do they not feel like they can, they, they're honoring him? Perhaps maybe some are jealous. They're like, we don't like you, Paul. We already know they have four teams. They have Cephas team, they have Paul team, they have Apollos team. They, they, we know that they've already, like, they're already divided and they have their own special pastor. Maybe they think that they're better. And Paul already said Barnabas is a better preacher. But you're like, why does Paul preach all the time? It's just how God had it. And so maybe, maybe perhaps from past experience, they don't, you know, you don't honor. Maybe you met a pastor, you were at a part of a church, the pastor was awful. Rightfully, he was awful, and you, you're like, you lost respect for him in that office. So you're struggling. That's a real thing. Um, maybe you feel like you're in a position, you think that ministry is a position to earn, and you're like, man, I know all the right things. I can, I, I've been to seminary, I have all these things. And uh, just because you've been to seminary doesn't mean you feel this way, but maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you, you know all these things. You're like, I, I have all the intellect to be a pastor. I've known guys who have all this intellect to be a pastor. They go plant, and they're like, this is awful, this is hard. The plant's not working because it's not about what's on paper. It's about the Spirit of God doing something. And so maybe it's just a lack of perspective. A lot of times their honor and respect just comes from perspective. You're like, oh, dang, I didn't know you did that. Then some also honor pastors blindly, and this is not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not saying just because someone carries the role of, of a pastor elder, like they, they're, you just got to honor them, and like you're a first-time guest, and like anyone who has a title, like, you know, but we got to honor them. Like my last church, that's what we did. No, that's not what I'm saying. Character matters. Character matters. Godly character matters. This is a, the pastoral ministry is an office, not a title. And we are accountable as elders, not just to one another, but to God, to the congregation. We're, there's an accountability there. 
So I'm not saying that anyone has a title. If they have title, you have, a, you have an office without accountability. That I, I'm not, we're not for that. It's got to be real accountability because there really have been real people who have had real hurts and, and, and pastors have used their, their position uh, wrongly. So I'm not advocating for just honor and respect just because we got the title of elder. But we want to cultivate. I want you to see, but doing the, 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 the work of cultivating trust among people Sometimes it just looks like, man, y'all are just my friend. And so sometimes it becomes really hard when, when a pastor has to rebuke someone or has to correct someone or has to, uh, to lean into a hard problem or a counseling issue. You're like, oh, I thought, why are you saying that, bro? You're my friend. Yeah, I'm your friend, but I'm also your pastor. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes people receive that well. Sometimes they don't. Perspective. Preaching, next. Preaching, I want, you, I want to look at being compelled versus compulsion. That's what he says next in verse 15. He says, But I have not made use of any of these rights, nor am I, uh, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Hey, I'm not trying to get you to pay me now. That's not what he's saying. He, and he's not trying to get you to get ready to pay me. Later, and other times he does. He says, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Um, and what he's talking about, I would rather die than having, you know, because he says, verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting, uh, for necessi- necessity is laid upon me. He's saying, if I have to, if the only reason why I'm going to preach the gospel, if the only reason I'm going to preach is because I'm getting paid, then like, I don't want that. I want to be able to preach whether I'm getting paid or not. That's what he says. And he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. This is the type of language that, that Isaiah used when he went to the presence of God and he's like, Kill me. Like, I am in your presence. I am dying. You're so glorious. This is literally what he's saying. is like, kill me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I, I will have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. I want you to see this. When he's talking about preaching, and I want, there's some of you here that want to be preachers one day, and I praise God, praise be to God for that. But I want you to see, preaching uh, must be done um, because you're compelled, not because you got a job. I know so many pastors, I really do, I, I, I know pastors I talked to this week, that some of them like, man, I just hate preaching. It's just so hard. I don't like studying. I don't like praying. I don't like, like what? The whole thing? Like, you don't like any of it? Like, yeah, man, it's just work. Like, I know, but like, you know, like praying, like that's kind of an issue because like you're talking to Jesus. I just kind of, like, I don't know if you should be a pastor, bro. He's like, I just don't like reading the Bible. I hate it. I hate studying it. I hate the whole process. I really love it when they love the sermon after. I'm like, okay, the wrong position. Get that guy on the other seat, uh, other part of the bus. He's still on the team, but we're going a different direction. Like, like if you're in, if you want to be a preacher for validation, like, you know, my, I, need, I need to prove something to my parents. Uh, like, you know, I, wa- I want to, I wanna, you know, my, my uncle was a pastor, so if I can be a pastor, I, I saw how they honored him, and I just want to be that. And pastors should be the type of people that other people want to imitate. Like, man, I want to be like that guy. But that's not why you become a pastor. It's because you want to be worthy of respect and honor to people. Like when I walk in public and they see, oh, the pastor, oh, everyone loves him. Just so you know, that day's gone. You walk into a place and they're like, you know, what do you do? You're a pastor. They stop talking to you. This is how I get out of so many conversations. I just tell people real quick what I do. Hey, what do you do? Like, oh, I'm an engineer. Like, awesome, I'm a pastor. Silence. Like, you just no one wants to talk to the pastor. And so if you want to get somewhere, you got to kind of let them lead that or you, they'll, they'll just shut down the conversation right away. Like, I want you to know validation will never be enough. It will never be enough. Approval from people will never be enough. You always want more. You always need more. It's like an addiction. It's like likes on social media. Like, it's just not healthy, not good. It's not why you should be a pastor. So if you want to preach, you must do so out of uh, being compelled, not, being out, not out of compulsion, meaning you got the job. I, they said yes. I went through the interview process. Like, the guy I was talking to this week, he's like, man, I just hate the whole process, but, like, that's what they pay me to do. Like, get a new job. They'll pay you more. Do something else. See, a preacher, if you want to be a preacher one day, a preacher is not, must not fear man, but must fear God. You must be more afraid of God than anyone else. Like, you want, you want to do what Jesus wants you to do. You say what he says. And so you become, in, in, the off, in, the, in the act of preaching, you're God's mouthpiece. Not that you're infallible, but what you were trying to say is, like, guys, this is what Jesus said. This is what God's word says. You got to do it. 
And it's going to, especially in our day and age, unless you want to compromise, it's going to take, it's going to come with a lot of criticism. And it is. And you got to want more than just to feed your family. You got to be like Paul when he says, woe to me. Like, I can't not do this. Kill me if I don't preach. Like, I, I, I can't not do this. There are people like that. I see they're preachers because, like, they just can't not do it. Everyone should be preaching or sharing the gospel to, to your friends and coworkers. All, but a preacher is just someone who's like, I don't, you can kill me, but I'm not going to shut up. Like, I'm going to keep going. Like, you kill all my friends. You kill everybody. This is what Paul does. He, he, he goes into a city, preaches. You know, there's either a revival or a riot. A pastor's got to be willing to preach not only in the revival, but in the riot. That's what a preacher is. If you're not willing to preach in the riot, you're not a preacher. It's not. I like to talk, maybe really good, maybe very really eloquent. But we need preachers who will preach and stand firm on the, on, on the foundation of our faith, contend for the gospel, not just in the revival, but in the riot. When you go to the, your local, you know, H-E-B, when you go to the local coffee shop, when you go to the place where you used to hang out, and they are like, man, we don't want you here because we heard, we, we saw you that sermon you preached. Some of y'all share some of the stuff, and I'm like, I really do. And like, dang it, here we go. Like, thank y'all, I could, but like, now my in-laws are going to say something. Like, it, it happens, and you're just like, every dinner's weird, everything's awkward, like someone, you know, really? I have people who are totally non-Christians, and they just listen just to hear the kind of crazy things I might say, just so they could like ridicule me. It's okay. It's okay. But I want you to know, like, preaching means that you don't, it's not about what other people think, it's about what God thinks. I'm going to be faithful to Jesus and his word. So many pastors today, and, I, and I'm more afraid for pastors in this day and age moving forward, are going to placate uh, to the, to the, and cater to the culture and not stand firm on, on the gospel of Jesus. They're going to go soft and weak and have weak sermons that don't talk about sin, that don't talk about repentance. Like I have pastors in the city tell me, like, hey, Al, why are you talking about repentance so much? And I just want you to know, up to this point, have I talked talk about repentance that much? No, but I will here in a moment. And so it's just... It's just because we need to repent. We need to turn. We need to trust Jesus. We need salvation. We need life. We need hope. We need redemption. We need Jesus. And so if you want to preach, awesome. Until then, pray. If you don't like praying, then don't preach. Wait. If you don't like waiting, don't preach. Read. If you don't like reading, don't preach. Study. If you don't like studying, don't preach. Love Jesus. If you don't do that, you're a false prophet. Anyway, don't preach. Share Jesus with others now. If you're not doing that, you won't do it later. If this is the only time you, you share Jesus is when you get a microphone in front of people, you're not a preacher. You're not. You're, you may be good at sharing the gospel. You may be good at talking to people. You may be a good public speaker. What I'm talking about is we're all called to, sh- to, 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 to share Jesus where we live, work, and play. But a preacher must be willing to do that when, when no one's around. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. They must feel it in their bones. I must preach or I'll die. And so while you're waiting, be one of praying, waiting, studying, seeking the Lord, looking for opportunities. I'm oftentimes, I love it, and there's guys in here who preach, and it's like, you want more reps? When someone asks me to preach, I'm like, go ask that guy. Not me, ask someone else. Not me. Ask someone else. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great English uh, preacher, said this. He's talking to his pastor's college. He said this. He's looking at a group of pastors who want to preach. He says, if any of you, if you can do anything else, do it. Don't be a preacher. He says, don't do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. What he's talking about is this, this longing, like Paul has, like, I, I can't get out. Like, I, I, woe is me. I will die if I don't. He says, if there's any student in this room that can be content uh, to be a, a newspaper editor, go do that. A grocer, go do that. A farmer, go do that. A doctor, lawyer, a senator, or a king. Hey, you want to be a king, president, you know, whatever, do that. He says, do that in the name of, of heaven and earth. Let him go by his way. He is not a man in whom the spirit of God in its fullness dwells. For, and what he's not saying is that he's not saved. He's like, he says this, for a man is so filled with God would utterly be weary at any pursuit that which, in which his innermost part or soul pants. What he's saying is essentially what Paul is saying. If you can do anything else, you should do it. But if like, you're like, I'm going to die if I don't preach, go do it. 
You're called to preach. One of the ways you know that is if, like, are you sharing the gospel boldly wherever you're at? That's how you know. See, how many of you, you don't raise your hand, you're married or whatever. Anyone who wants to have a kid starts with zero kids, right? What do you got to do? You got to make a kid. There's some activities, some things that got to happen, and you got to have a kid. If you want to preach, you got to make a, you got to have a kid. You got to make a disciple. You got to share the gospel with someone. Everyone wants the stage, but doesn't want to build, this, build the, the community. You got to go find someone. Hey, dude, you don't know Jesus? Let me introduce you to myself. Here's, here's who I am. I want to introduce you to this other man, Jesus. He died in the place for your sins and rose from the dead. He's like, I don't even know that. I have so many questions. All right, let's ask him. And you're asking questions. You're investing in their life. You're like, why did you start this relationship off this way? Because I love you. I love Jesus. I don't know you yet, but I want to. But I, God loves you. I'm going to share my faith with you. And then you go to the next guy, and the next guy, and the next guy, and all of a sudden there's like 15 people who are Christians. You're like, what the heck? They're not, they weren't Christians ahead. That guy should preach. You're like, do you, do you share the gospel with people? So all the preachers in here who want to preach, uh, that's what I mean by you got to be compelled, not under compulsion. Oh, when you, uh, Pastor Al gave me a ministry assignment, got to go preach now. Like, that's not, you're not a preacher. You might preach one time or a few times and several times a year, that's fine. But you're not a preacher. The preacher can't shut up. We'll share the gospel with anyone. I remember I used to get my hair cut because I had hair. And those are the guys, like, yeah, the moment, few moments. And it got so short, there was no moments to cut hair. So I got my beard trimmed, you know. Like, it's just finding moments. Where am I going to find a moment to share the gospel with? I share, I preach more throughout the week than I do on Sunday. You're like, this guy talks for a long time. Yeah, longer throughout the week. You give me two hours, I'll give, I'll, I'll give you a year full. Ask some questions. I want to know, like, controlled by the Holy Spirit, compelled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. That's what a preacher does. He's compelled. He has to. He has to because he wants to honor the one who has called him, the Lord Jesus. Paul will later say to the Corinthians, he says, it's the love of Christ that controls me or compels me. Same is true for being an elder. He says it this way, and uh, Paul or Peter says it in uh, Peter, First uh, Peter five two and three. He's talking about being compelled versus compulsion again. It's not just for preachers; it's for the elders of the church. He says, "Shepherd the flock, or elder the flock, or like oversee the flock uh, of God uh, that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly." See, this is not. This is a willful. Got it? You know, I'm, I'm free to do it. I'm gonna, this. I'll, I'll preach. I'll elder whether you pay me or not. I'm going to do it because. God has called me to it, he says, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not for riches, not for, not for the approval of man, not for anyone else, but for God. Do it eagerly, not domineering over those who are in charge, so don't be abusive leader, but what he says, be an example to the flock. See, pastors are to do so, to, to exercise their, their duty eagerly, not domineering, but to live as examples. So Paul, writing to the Corinthians, is like, I'm telling you, Mike, I'm going to be an example to you. I'm laying down my rights. I need you to lay down your rights to serve your brother and sister in Christ. I know some of you in here aspire to be elders too. It's a noble thing, the scriptures say. I have the same request for you. If you aspire to be an elder, love Jesus more than anything. Love him more than anything. And then let me ask the next question. Do you honor your pastors? I, like I said, I feel honored. I don't know what's going on in your own heart. I don't know what's going on in your, in your own motives. Do you, do you honor? Do you honor pastors? Because, see, sometimes people become elders or they want to be elders because they dishonor the pastor. They, they think they can do it better. So when you find that out real quick in the elder meeting. You, know, you find that out. What's your motive? Do you have a life worth imitating? If you don't, man, that's where you start. That's what we're called to. So think about your wife, your kids, your work ethic, your witness to the lost, your zeal for mission. You want to be an elder? Are you content with waiting? Because it's, it's God who, it's the Holy Spirit who sets apart overseers. Like, I'm content. Well, God, I'll, I'll, I'll be an elder. I won't be an elder. It's your call. It means you're humble, teachable, not combative, not arrogant. And so if you're a man in here today, the, the, the character of an elder, you, God has called you to that. Every Christian is called to have the character of a God of Christ. Doesn't mean you'll be an elder, though. We're all called to imitate Jesus. We're all called to look like Jesus. We're all called to be godly and holy like Jesus. Elders must be. Christians ought to be. Elders are examples to the rest of the flock to be like Jesus. 
So Paul's showing his life. He's giving him perspective. He loves them. He wants them to, to love one another. So what I'm going to do with this, I don't know how much time I have left, but here we go. We're going to preach the gospel. This isn't an add-on to a sermon. I want you to know, if you, normally we, we work in, and I have even today worked in the gospel to most of this message. But Paul says, he's like, hey, what was me if I don't preach the gospel? Like, I'm, I'm going to take me out, take me out of the game if I don't preach the gospel. That's how he's talking. What is the gospel? The gospel is not just, I need you to see this. It is, it is I'll tell you what it is, and, and then what it continues to be. You and I, all of us, guilty of sin, all of us in here, you're guilty of sin. You're sinners by nature and by choice, meaning you inherited sin from your father, Adam, first human being, and you then continue to sin willfully. You sin, your sin, my sin. We are sinners, nature and choice. That's what we are, guilty, can't stand before a holy God. If we do, we'll be justly punished with the wrath of God. That is every human being. That is how, that's how you entered the world, because of sin and has affected you. The good news of the gospel, that's what the gospel means. It means good news. The good news is that though we are sinners, that though we're rebellious, though we don't honor God, we don't love God, we don't follow God, we run away from him, Jesus has come. Jesus, has, Jesus, God himself, enters human history to seek and save those who are lost. This is the good news. He was on a rescue mission. Jesus came on a rescue mission to seek and save you. He, if you don't think you need to be saved, you'll look at Jesus and go, ah, that's just another guy. But if you understand that you're a sinner and you're in need of a savior, you see that this is great news, that you couldn't fix your life. How many of you can't fix your life? Because you understand that you can't fix the problems that you created. You can't fix the problems you inherited. You can't undo the past that you've committed. The things, the way you've hurt people, the way the people have hurt you, you cannot fix those things. You need a savior. Jesus is the only Savior, so the good news is that there is a Savior who has come to rescue you. His name is Jesus. If you don't put your faith and trust in Him, what you are doing is opting out of salvation. Like You're opting out of wrath removal. You're opting out of new life. You're opting out of eternal life. You're opting out of salvation, hope, redemption, restoration. You're opting out of the greatest news in human history. You get excited about some dumb movie you, you watched, and you're like, oh, I've got to tell everybody about it. I want everyone to watch it. It's a dumb movie. Jesus, the God-man, has died in your place for your sins, and you don't even care. You don't even care to, to believe it. And then some of you don't even care to share it. It's the best news, the greatest news, the only good news. It's great news. It's awesome. And it's the only thing that has the power to save. It takes dead people and makes them alive. It takes blind people and makes them see. We're told in Romans, but same author, Paul says that he was eager to preach the gospel in the church in Rome. He said it's the gospel that has the power to save. Not you plus the gospel, not a cool sermon plus the gospel, not just, you know, coffee, dinner, dessert plus the gospel, just the gospel. Paul would roll up into a city, and all he would have is the gospel. I just share about Jesus dying in the place for sinners, raising from the dead victorious, conquering sin, Satan, death, and the grave, offering that to people. Do you want it? Yes or no? No? All right, I'm going to tell someone else. I'm going to go to the next person. Go to the next person. Go to the next person. And somehow, some way, people start believing, trusting, hoping in that. And that how? God intervened. The Holy Spirit opened eyes. See, the Holy Spirit flies in tandem with the gospel. When you deviate from the gospel, you deviate from power. So many people want to win people to Jesus by being just friends with them, you know, being super nice to them, not offending them. You should be offended if you heard the gospel. You are guilty, and you're going to hell if Jesus doesn't rescue you. Like, ah, oh, that scares me. I don't want that. I don't want that either. That's the news. It's really bad and bleak, but it's really good because there is a Savior. And Jesus has come to rescue you, to redeem you, to buy you back. And he's already been crucified in your place for your sins. He's already risen from the dead. All you got to do is believe. The news is there. We live in a world where, you know, fake news is the, the common term of our day. No one trusts news. You hear news, you're like, I don't believe that. I don't trust that. How many of you approach the gospel the same way. I don't trust that. 
What's the source? Well, God, that's the source. The question is not, do you trust me? The question is, do you trust God? Do you, do you trust God? The gospel is the only thing that can save you. But I need you to understand this. Some of you would just hear what he's saying. It's like, oh, man, the, the reason for the gospel is to get out of hell. No, that's just an extra benefit. That's the benefit. That's just where you're headed right now. That's where you're headed right now if you don't trust Jesus. But if you do, or if you, you convert, you put your faith in Jesus, the gospel continues. The good news is not just what saves you, but it's the start. You got to get saved. The go- same gospel that saves you is the only thing that can sustain you in your Christian life today. So Christians don't graduate from the gospel. Like, I learned the gospel. I know that. I know about Jesus. I know he died for my sins. Blah, 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 blah. I don't need to hear any more. Give me some good, good sermon, pastor. You need the gospel. You can't graduate from it. You need the good news that even though you, Jesus has saved you, you still need forgiveness. You're still walking in disobedience from time to time. You still need the, the, to remember that Jesus loves you even though the enemy will tell you that you, are, uh, you should be ashamed of your thoughts. You should be ashamed of your actions. You should be ashamed of your life and that he will accuse the saints as we're told in Revelation night and day. You need the, the, the good news to wash over you again and again to see that there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in you, that he really has atoned for your past, your present, and your future sins. They've been dealt with, done, on the cross. It is finished. So that tomorrow when you wake up and you feel like a crummy Christian, you feel like a crummy person from your thoughts, your actions, you have power to repent, own up to it, confess it, but then walk in the new life that Jesus has given you. The gospel is not just get saved. The gospel is get saved and then be sustained all by Jesus. Get saved by Jesus and sustained by Jesus. And it continues. The Great Commission tells us to obey Jesus. The Great Commission is not to just tell other people about it, but to us ourselves, to teach one another, to continue to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And he promises to be with us. Well, that's a great promise. That God will be with you. What is your circumstance you're in right now? What is it that you're just like, I need help? You want, to, you want proof that God is with you? Remember the gospel. Like, well, this is a work thing. Yeah, if Jesus can handle your sin problem, don't you think he can handle your work problem? Well, I'm just really stressed out financially. If Jesus can handle your sin problem, don't you think he can handle your financial problem? See, what gives us comfort as Christians in our day-to-day problems is actually the gospel is that if jesus loves me and i'm truly a child of god if he has gone the link this link to save me redeem me adopt me bring me back from the family and then promise to never leave me that that i can have hope in i can have hope that no matter what i endure god is with me no matter what i'm going through jesus is with me even if the the things that are awful happen to me unjustly wrongly they happen to me i can have hope because god is with me he'll never leave me nor forsake me The gospel is not just news to get you fire insurance. It's news to sustain your daily life. Fire insurance is great too. So if that's where you got to start, that's where we'll start. But if you know, love, and trust Jesus, the gospel continues to be better news, a constant reminder of the mercy and grace of Jesus towards us, the constant reminder of the, the, the amount of love God has for us, the constant reminder that though we were sinners, we have a Savior, and we have a new life, new hope, redemption. So that should compel us to know our God, to love our God, to worship our God, to commune with our God, to pray to our God, to abide in Christ, to enjoy the great flourishing life that he has for his kids. If you're in Christ, Jesus has adopted you into the family at great lengths. Our job now is to remember that good news, cherish that good news, glory in that good news, share that good news, and enjoy the benefits and blessings of that good news, namely being a child of God, part of the family of God, and all the promises that Jesus has for you in Christ. If you don't know what those are, got an assignment this week, read some of the book, it tells you about it, and then glory in it. So since Jesus has saved us, since he's the only one who can sustain us, he's the only one who can secure us, we're gonna worship him, As we respond, Pastor Alex will come up, lead us through communion, and we'll take that and sing songs, worshiping Jesus our King. Jesus, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you that the gospel is the only good news, or the greatest news in all of human history. There are other good news that we hear, 
but this one triumphs everything. That you made a way for us, guilty sinners, to come into the presence of God, to be, be adopted, saved, redeemed. Um, we were enemies. We hated you. Just like we read today, or we, we heard and reminded today, the Apostle Paul was a Christian killer. You saved him, converted him, made him a Christian, and then you gave him the mission to, get, to, to, to share the, that good news with other people. Would we see right now, Lord Jesus, as we respond, would we see our great need for you, a Savior, and see how great you are as our Savior. May that compel us, may that control us to worship you with all of our heart, mind, and strength. May that compel us and control us and, and propel us to share and tell others about you. Additionally, may it just consume us in such a way where we just want to know you. We would read your word, you'd study your word, create revival in our heart lest we riot against you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.